0: Welcome to the program. I'm Jeff Sheckman. A couple of years ago, Senator Elizabeth Warren made headlines with the phrase, nevertheless, she persisted. Sheryl Sandberg told women they had to lean in. These approaches, while certainly valuable for dealing with the symptoms of the problems that many girls and women face, ignores the very core of why these actions might in fact be necessary. Men, for the most part, don't have to make the effort to persist or lean in because they're socialized from the beginning to do that to be fearless, to be disruptive, to be brave. My guest, Reshma Sajani, is a graduate of Harvard and Yale Law School and a former New York City public advocate, and she's the founder of Girls Who Code. The organization has made remarkable inroads into bringing more girls and women into STEM and technology, but even more than just changing the gender makeup of tech. She has seen coding as a kind of metaphor for teaching women to be brave. Her TED Talk on the subject has gotten over 4 million views, and now she's written about it in her new book, Brave, Not Perfect, Fear Less, Fail More, and Live Better. It is my pleasure to welcome Rashma Sujani to the program. Rashma, thanks so much for joining us.
1: Thank you, Jeff, for having me. I'm so excited to see
0: you. Well, it's a delight to have you here. You had a kind of epiphany uh, several years ago when you ran for Congress. You learned something about being brave. Tell us about that first.
1: Yeah, you know, up until the point that I was 33 years old, I had done everything, quote, perfectly. Went to the right schools, worked to the right places, did everything that would make my parents and those around me happy and proud. And I woke up when I was 33 years old working as a lawyer in finance in a job that I hated. I knew from the time that I was 12 years old that I wanted to change the world, that I wanted to be a public servant. And here I found myself, early 30s, stuck in a job, that I thought to myself, God, is this it? And I remember sitting there, my best friend called me. And it's always funny how your best friend calls when your life is falling apart. (laughs) And I remember taking the phone and going into a windowless conference room and just crying. And she said to me, and my friend Deepa said to me, you know what? Rushmore, just quit. And I was like, I can do that. And I did. And I decided to run for Congress, right? I went all the way against an 18 year incumbent, right? In a New York city democratic primary, I got crushed. I mean, I spent like $1.4 million on a thousand votes. I mean, don't do the math. It was, I was broke. I was humiliated. I knew that people were either laughing at me or feeling sorry for me. Neither one of which I liked. And, but the thing that I kept thinking about was, wow, like I lost, but I'm not broken. I am not broken. And I think for most of my life, and I think I'm not alone, we think that if we fail at something, if something doesn't work out, that it will literally break us. And it's what prevents us from taking risks. And so it's just a huge, that race, that loss is just a huge eye opener for me.
0: And I started living my life differently. Yeah, one of the things that's striking is that you had a certain level of, and and some of the women that you write about, that there is a level of confidence. You knew what you could do. You had faith in your own talents and abilities. But there's this gap, this difference between confidence and bravery. It's easy to conflate the two, but they're really different. Talk about that.
1: Well, I I think that's the difference between being a go-getter and being gutsy right? A lot of us are go-getters. We go after the things we want, but we calculate it. Am I likely to get this? Is this likely to work out? It's why we say women will, men will apply for a job if they meet 60% of the qualifications. And for women it's a hundred percent. And so there's a difference between being a go-getter and being gutsy. You know, when you're gutsy, the the outcome is probably not going to happen in your favor, right? You're literally taking a risk. And there's a, there's a chance, you know, bravery is in many ways is like a moonshot. And so I think that we have to start distinguishing the two. The other thing is I think that for so, and I always say to parents, you know, throughout your parenting books. They're wrong. And because for so long we told parents, build confidence in girls. So many parents thought that that meant, well, if I put my daughter in soccer and she's bad at it, I'm going to pull her out and I'm going to put her in swimming. I'm going to put her into something that she feels good about and that she herself can excel at. And by doing that, we built their confidence, but we killed their resilience. And it's why you're seeing in college where women will declare a major and if they get a B instead of an A in the introductory level course, they drop out. Whereas boys are like, I got a B, that's
0: amazing. (laughs) One of the other aspects of this is not being afraid of failure and the reality of failure. I mean, that that's the extension of what you're talking about. Talk a little bit about that.
1: Yeah, I think the thing is, is oftentimes we take failure personally, you know, whether it's in our personal life or our professional life. And, you know, when you think about an athlete, right, most athletes sit at the edge of their critical ability and feedback. So they have a coach who's sitting there, saying, wrong, do it again, do it again, do it again. And we kind of raise our boys this way too. You know, when we don't let them give up easily, you know, we, let, we encourage them to take risks, to be fearless, to be risk takers. But with our girls, we're much more careful. We literally wrap them with bubble wrap and we don't encourage them or support them to take risks and to fail. And so we never really hear that critical feedback. And so when we hear it in the workplace, it feels very personal. And we immediately go from, oh, I made a mistake, to I suck, to I'm horrible, like, oh, my God, I'm going to get fired, all in, like, 20 seconds.
0: Right. There, there are these interesting metaphors with respect to that. One is certainly Silicon Valley itself, where failure is very much a part of, of being in business. And, and as you referred to it a few minutes ago, sports metaphors are another one. I mean, baseball perhaps being the penultimate example, where if you succeed only a third of the time, you're a huge success.
1: Absolutely. And it's right. In Silicon Valley, it's the more failed startups you have, the better entrepreneur we think you are. And, you know, a lot of women and, you know, as in having this conversation with them have rightly pointed out, like, and I and I said this in my book, it's that the rules for failure for women are different. We are punished more harshly for failing than men are, which is why women don't take risks. But the thing is, is that, you know, Carol Dweck has this line where she says, if, you know, if life were one long grade school, girls would rule the world but it's not. And all of that perfectionism, it's not paying off. So we have to try something different. And I think that difference is bravery and bravery can't be the exception to the rule. We need to see lots of women taking risks, failing and trying again. and look, this isn't a business book, right? This is not just about how to get a promotion. This is about how to live a happier life because I think that bravery builds joy and i think we that perfectionism has really invaded the personal right women are twice as likely to be depressed as men you know we wait for that perfect selfie post we don't leave the house without a full fledge of makeup before we go you know to the to the grocery store we won't buy store-bought cookies for our you know for our son's birthday party because we don't want people to judge us like the mommy guilt all of that stuff runs so deep we won't even when we're walking down the street if someone bumps into us we say i'm sorry Right. And so it's all of these daily microaggressions and acts that we carry with us, literally in the pit of our stomach. And it eats us up inside.
0: It's interesting, though, I was thinking about this before talking to you today, that in the world we live in today, perhaps we need a little more of that perfection and a little less of that disruption. Mm. How what you mean? The idea that, that given how topsy-turvy and disruptive the entire world is today, that maybe a little more perfection, a little more of that point of view, wouldn't hurt in terms of improving the lives of everyone. Well, maybe it's, you know,
1: I think it's more, maybe a little bit more excellence mm-hmm. and not
0: perfection. Right.
1: And I talk about, there's a difference between excellence and perfection. I pursue excellence every day. Right. And that means like I'm enjoying the journey of giving it my best. Now, if it doesn't work out, if I don't get to my destination point, my life doesn't come crashing down. When you are a perfectionist, all you care about is that destination point. You're not focused on that form. You know, a great story, a friend of mine tried out for the Olympics. She was a diver. Right. And it's her la- the last Olympic trial, the last shot that she has to go to the Olympics. She goes, she takes her dive, falls flat her dream over everybody starts clearing out of the pool her boyfriend's standing there tapping his foot and she's like give me a second she goes up and she does a dive and it's a perfect dive she did that for herself she did that because she was pursuing excellence
0: not perfection and that's the difference I want to talk about this with respect to coding, and, and coding is kind of a metaphor in a way for all that we're yeah. talking about. I, loved what, I love that. That's right. Because so
1: many girls and women think about coding as, oh, I could never do that. That's too hard for me. You've got to be a genius to do that. And when girls go into our courses, they don't think it's possible for them to build a website or develop an algorithm or, you know, make a robot dance. And so when they learn and they actually do it, and this whole process about coding is iterative, right? The semicolon can be in the wrong place. You got to do it over and over and over. It's a process of imperfection. So when they learn how to do that, they're like, oh my God, one, I thought I couldn't do this and I did. And two, oh, this is what a challenge feels like. This is what it feels like to stick with something and not give up right away, even though every bone in my body is telling me, you're not good at this. And so what I have seen is by teaching them to code, I've taught them how to be brave. And I see them taking risks and chances in all aspects of their life once they leave my program that are not coding related. And it's powerful to watch.
0: You tell the story, in fact, in your TED Talk of the girl who, who didn't get something just right coding. And instead of trying to solve the problem or fix it, it was easier just to delete it.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, so the story I tell my TED Talk and my book is about how, you know, and all the girls do this. And they do this in a lot of programs where they're learning how to code. The student will call the teacher over and she'll say, I, I don't know what code to write. So the teacher looks at her screen and all she sees is a blank text editor, right? So she thought, oh, okay, you just spent 20 minutes just staring at a screen. But when the teacher pressed undo a few times on the computer, she saw that actually her students did write code, but then she deleted it. So instead of saying to her teacher, hey, come over here, I'm working on this. I don't have it right. What do you think? She actually rather show her nothing at all. So it's this idea of perfection or bust. And girls have said this to me, like women have said this to me, if I can't do it perfectly, why bother to even do it at all? And that's the mentality that we have to change. And the exciting thing about writing this book is that it's never too late. You know, this book is about how it raises raised girls, but it's for women. And it's about for women and in in, in, in for teens to say, how do we rewire ourselves? And it's possible. Like you can live and start living in a bravery mindset and start living your life brave not perfect and it opens up an entire world for you and i've seen it with my students
0: talk a little about the role of teachers and parents in helping to foster that mindset
1: yeah i think we have to stop protecting our girls so or or coddling them you know a story that i tell in the book is that computer science teacher brad you know when his students are building network cables if the if the boys do it wrong he just takes out a pair of scissors Cut fit, and he's like, no, do it again. But with the girls, he has to be like, okay, you did this part right. Maybe try this again. It's a bunch of qualifiers. We can't take out the scissors. We have to take out the scissors. We got to rip the band-aids off. We got to be super direct with our girls. We got to give them critical feedback, and we just stop worrying about their feelings. And our, for my parents, it's like from the time that girls are young, you gotta you gotta let them get dirty and get messy and take things apart. And if they suck at soccer, don't pull them out. Let them know what it feels like to be
0: mediocre. To what extent are there so many other messages coming from the culture that, that this is such a constant battle today? It is a constant battle. It is that, it is, and I see this with my son.
1: You know, it's like he, my son is a sweet, you know, kind little boy who is just very thoughtful, and he's not very alpha, But every every other person out there is trying to teach him how to be a boy. And I got to fight against that every day. Sometimes with my own husband. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it is. it is This this has happened because of culture and this is a constant bell, which is why I say to women, it's not one and done. You know, it's not like, oh, I'm brave today and then I'm not tomorrow. Oh, my God, I'm never going to be brave. Like, it is a practice. It is a practice of practicing imperfection, practicing doing stuff that you suck at practicing getting rest so you can be brave because, you know what,
0: if you're tired, you
1: can't be brave. It's a practice, and you you will fall on and off the wagon, and that is okay.
0: What are the messages? You you mentioned Carol Dweck before, and and she talks about the fact that it's around fifth grade that that something dramatic happens. Talk about that. Well, it's around that age that kids start getting
1: graded, and so they start comparing themselves, and they start watching us. And they watch how we compare ourselves, like, oh, my God, I'm not as skinny as her. Like, Did you see my butt? It's so much better. I mean, like, they're watching how we talk about ourselves and how we talk about our others, and they're mimicking it, right? And so they start doing this calculation, too, of, like, should I tell you what I th- really think? Or should I tell you what I think is going to make you happy? And thus begins all of the harm that we do to ourselves.
0: How does this play out as, as you watch it, and you've studied this closely, how does it play out in terms of, initially, and in talk about the workplace, in the relationships between men and women, and how they work together and yet approach these things in such different ways? Well, first,
1: I think that we find it very hard to tell men and women what we think, and so we hold it in inside. So if somebody says something that's inappropriate, instead of confronting it, we sit with it, right? And oftentimes, I think, and part that is because we, from a young age, have been taught to care what other people think. And so sometimes at the core of this, I tell women, it's like, we don't want men to not like us. And so we, so we don't tell the truth, and our truth. And then it leaves us with anger. And so I think that that's something that we have to work on. I also think, look, I think that there's a huge opportunity for men in the workplace. I always say, and maybe because I married somebody incredible and I have a wonderful son and 40% of girls who code teachers are men. I think it's never been a better time to be a woman. And it's, I've never seen so many incredible male allies who want to be in this with us. And I think the thing that I've noticed, right, is that, you know, my friend Tarana Burke says this, you know, courage after Me Too has been contagious for women. We're, we're kind of finding our voice with each other, right? But courage has not been contagious for men. Many men I know will be in a meeting and somebody will say something that's inappropriate that they also thought was inappropriate. And maybe they'll go home and they'll say to their partner, can you believe that? But in that moment, they didn't say anything. And I realized that maybe they don't know the word. And maybe that's the work that we need to be doing with each other, too, is about really giving them the words and really holding them accountable for being courageous, too.
0: And I think they're ready. Reshma Sujani, her book is Brave, Not Perfect, Fear Less, Fail More, and Live Bolder. Reshma, I thank you so much for spending time with us.
1: Thank you, Jeff, for a wonderful conversation.
0: Thank you.